See, we're working through this series called Not My Jesus, and uh, we're talking about all these different things here. Uh, we're talking about the religious folk here at the beginning. These were the, the Pharisees that we discussed, and uh, Chris told us you can kind of view these as, as church people, people that uh, maybe had religious background, they grew up in church and things like that. And how did Jesus interact with them? And we found out uh, that not all of them, but at some of them, he was pretty tough at times, that he wanted them to know there's a, there's a reason behind things. And uh, then last week, Rick walked us through uh, the pursuers. The pursuers, and these are people that uh, wanted to be on Team Jesus, and that uh, were being recruited to be on his team, and that Jesus kind of let them know at times uh, that it's not always easy. That he began to challenge them if they wanted to be on his team. And so this morning, we're going to look at a different group of people. This morning, we are going to look at the broken. The broken. And so in order to do this, we're going to jump back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, looking at the first three chapters. Now, don't worry, we're not going to read all of those chapters this morning. I'll just summarize them here for you. But what we find out from Genesis is that in the beginning, God created the entire universe. He created the whole world. And what he did is he took uh, the stars in the sky and he placed them where they needed to be and he put other planets where they needed to be and he looked at it and he said, it's good. And then he put water all over the earth and he filled it full of sea creatures, things like whales and dolphins and cute little otters and he stepped back and said, it's good. And then he put land on that earth and, and he put rainforest over here and he put some mountains here and he put Lansing, Michigan over here and he said, it's good. He put Ann Arbor over here, and he said, nah. <laughs> I always get a big clap for those jokes, right? <laughs> Emails later, claps now. It's all good, right? <laughs> but God looked at all of this creation, and he said, it's good. And he put animals all over the earth, giraffes and kangaroos and dogs, and he said, it's good. And then he took some dirt, and he put it together, and he breathed life into this dirt for mankind, and he said, it's good. And then he saw man was lonely, so he put man to sleep, and he took his rib out, and he created woman, and he put them together, and he created relationship, and he said, it is good. And so when he stepped back at all this creation, he rested because everything was good. And then as he's talking with mankind, he says, hey, I love you, and I want you to love me and understand the freedom that comes with that. And so I'm going to put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil here, and you guys have the choice. Enjoy all of this goodness. Enjoy all of nature. Enjoy each other. Enjoy with me. And the Bible tells us that they walk together every day, God and mankind. And he says, now the only thing is don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like That's the only thing not to do. The rest of this, soak it in. Enjoy this goodness. This is for you. This is me and you. And Adam and Eve got together and they did what most of us do. They said, not this tree. Okay, wonderful. Right? Like that's, that's our nature. It's the things that we do. And when they did that, they broke everything. They broke everything. And so because of this, now we have uh, broken relationships with each other. We live in a broken world. Our relationship with this world is broken. And worst of all, our relationship with God is broken because sin entered the world and through all this brokenness things like hate and evil and sickness and shame and death began to creep in and the reality is that today our world is still broken 
So you guys have a good week. I'll see you next time, all right? No, right? Like, that would be horrible if that's where we left the story. If that's how we were, nobody wants to see that movie or read that book, right? But instead, God said, no, 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 I love my creation. I love this. It's broken, but I love it. And so I'm going to redeem it. I'm going I'm to give it hope. And so we see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God begins to get a chosen people, and he puts in this plan for redemption, that they're going to be a blessing to them, and they're going to bless everybody else because of it. And then eventually we get in the New Testament, and this blessing comes to fruition in the person of Jesus. And that there's this plan for hope and redemption and that it comes to a head, it comes to be in the person of Jesus. And so we're going to look and see today how Jesus interacted when he encountered brokenness. Uh, We're going to jump this morning into uh, the book of John chapter 8. If you have your North Point app, feel free to go ahead and pop that open this morning. You can follow along with the verses there, maybe do some fill-ins, take notes, things like that. Uh, you can also grab a Bible there from the pew in front of you. Uh, we're going to be John chapter 8. Now, a little bit of background here. Uh, the author of John is John, okay? And John is an apostle of Jesus. He's one of his crew. He's one of the guys that stayed close with him. He learned from him. Uh, he went where Jesus went. He saw the amazing things that he did. Jesus had poured into him and mentored him and loved him this whole time. And so John is writing this book here for us. And in this particular section, John is pulling out uh, an encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees. If we go back to what we talked about the first week, uh, these would be the church people. These would be the religious people. And some of these religious people, not all of them, but some of them are looking to get Jesus. They're looking to capture, to trap Jesus here. They want to trap him. They want to expose him. They want to get rid of Jesus here. So they make this giant plan, and, and they're going to try and try it out here in, verse, or in chapter 8. So we're going to start here, uh, the last verse of chapter 7. It says this. It says, when they all went home, or then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. That was a lot of times Jesus would kind of step away from everybody to, to pray to God the Father and kind of refresh his batteries a little, a little bit there. Um, and it says, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. See, Jesus is doing what Jesus does. He's teaching. He's challenging people's thoughts and their ideas. And he's interpreting what they had as scripture back then in the Old Testament. And he's letting them know of this new way. And, and he's challenging their minds on all these things. And he's at the temple with a primarily Jewish audience. And there's tons of people around him at this time. Okay, And then verse 3 comes up. It says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So we've got a lot of things going on here in these few verses. Uh, first of all, we have the religious folk, the leaders at the time come, and, and they drag in a woman who they claim was caught in the act of adultery. And they say that she must be killed according to Jewish law and customs at the time. Now immediately, this should begin to raise some questions in our mind as we're reading through this. Uh, first of all, uh, the first question to ask is, who saw this happening? Who saw this happening? According to to Jewish law and customs, uh, compromising circumstances were not sufficient evidence of adultery. In other words, Jewish law required that there had to be a witness to see the act. Somebody had to actually catch them in the act and know that this was happening. Okay, so then if there is a witness, then why is it that only the woman is brought forward? 
See, according to the great theologians Rob Bass and Easy Rock, we know it takes two to make things go right. It takes two to make it out of sight, right? All right, we know that it takes two to tango. We know it takes two people here. They're not theologians. Don't look that up, okay? I'm just telling you right now. I promise. Not what you would be expecting, but okay. But we do know, according to Jewish law and customs, if we look in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, and Deuteronomy 22, 22, it states that it would be both parties involved that would be at fault. It's not just the woman, but both parties involved, and yet there's nobody else. We're beginning to smell like a setup here, right? So then the next question is, all right, well, what in fact does the law say? See, the religious folk at this time claim that she must be put to death by stoning. In other words, taking large rocks and hurling them at her until she dies. It's not pleasant. That all of this was according to the law. But that's not completely accurate. In fact, if we do a little research back into Deuteronomy 22, uh, 23 through 34... It says that she had to be a virgin and engaged to be married to another man. Now that matters. Because it's saying in a very specific instance, this is the penalty. But that's not even the instance that we have here. So it's saying that according to this specific instance, this is what would happen. But that's not the situation that's going on, right? That's not what's happening here. And so because of that, there's actually other ways to handle this situation. That there's actually other results that could come that don't include death. So the religious folk here are actually beginning to twist or distort the law a little bit. And all of this matters because it shows that the truth is these religious leaders did not care about this broken woman. In fact, they didn't even care about a broken law. They simply wanted to trap Jesus. See, we know that according to Roman law, that they would not allow the Jewish people to execute the death penalty. That's not something that they could do. Only the Romans could do that. So if Jesus were to say, yeah, you're right, we should kill her, then he's going to have conflict with the Romans. But if Jesus indeed says, hey, you know what? Don't kill her. Don't kill her. Then supposedly he wouldn't be caring about the Jewish law in front of his primarily Jewish audience. So they're trying to trap him because he either doesn't care about the Roman law or he doesn't care about the Jewish law. But what does Jesus care about? He cares about this broken woman. He cares about this broken, barren woman in front of him. So we read here in the second part of verse 6. It says that Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. See, a lot of times we read this and the question comes up, what, what did Jesus write? What did Jesus write in the ground? And the answer to that is exactly. Exactly. Because even thousands of years later, because Jesus took the time to bend down and write in the sand, our attention is no longer on this woman laying in the street, but instead our focus goes on to what's Jesus doing? We don't longer look at this broken woman, but instead we're... Our focus is on who Jesus is and what he's doing. And the crowd at this time would have been able to focus on the same thing. They're no longer looking at the woman, but instead they're watching Jesus. And by doing this simple action, Jesus has begun to show a great amount of care and compassion in this. And then there's exactly what he does next here. Get verse 7 and 8. It says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, 
Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Talk about a mic drop moment right there, right? Like, that's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. Jesus acknowledges, he says, you know what? Yes, she is wrong, and she is hurting, and she is broken. But so are you. But so are you. Jesus is reminding all of these accusers that we are all broken. We are all broken. That It's not our job to be judges, to be a juror, or to be an accuser. We're just broken. It goes on in verse 9. It tells us that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. See, first Jesus gives this woman incredible amounts of care and compassion by by taking the focus off of her and bringing it on himself. And now he gives her something even better than that. Now Jesus gives her redemption. Redemption. See, the only one in this story that's not broken, the only one that lived a perfect life, that did nothing wrong, is Jesus. And yet he doesn't throw a stone at this broken woman. He doesn't just take the the remote control car and drive it farther down into the street. Instead, he bends down. And he begins to pick up the pieces of her life and put them back together. See, not my Jesus accuses. Not my Jesus plots. Not my Jesus traps. Not my Jesus throws stones. Not my Jesus comments with anger and hatred on Facebook. Not my Jesus avoids those who look bad because of their poor choices. Not my Jesus uses the hurt of others to elevate themselves. But my Jesus, my Jesus comforts those that the world has hurt. My Jesus has compassion on those who hurt themselves. And my Jesus redeems all that are broken. The section wraps up here at the end of verse 11, and Jesus tells this woman this. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Simply put, Jesus says, don't stay broken. Don't stay broken. You have to remember scars. We all have scars. We have things in our life. We have pains. We have these scars there. But scars are reminders, not definers. Scars tell us where where we've been or what we've done and what happened as a result. They don't define who we are. They remind us who we are, but they don't define who we are. This is why we care so much about things like Celebrate Recovery. This is why we care about things uh, like Awaken for Postal Board of Women. This is why we push life groups so hard. Because we know that these things matter. That we need people who are going to help us heal. And we need people that are going to help grow us through these situations. And people that are going to help us go on from what may have happened. To leave these things behind. 
See, redemption is beautiful because redemption is both forgiveness and change. Forgiveness and change. And that's what my Jesus has to offer. That you don't have to, you may have been broken at some point in time in your life, but you don't have to stay broken. But rather, we can allow God to begin to heal us from that brokenness, to grow us through that brokenness, and then to go on from it to the purposes and the plans that he has for you and for me. See, you may know what it feels like to be little Johnny in that remote control car. Something that you love, something that you valued, you wanted so dearly is broken before you. It could be a relationship with your kids or your parents, a broken marriage, a broken business or finances, something you cared about so much and it's broken before you. You may know what it feels like to be that remote control car, laying in the middle of the street and life has just run you over. And now you're broken for everybody to look at and for everybody to see. But know this, Jesus doesn't accuse you. We all already know that we're broken versions of who we were created to be. Instead, Jesus offers redemption, the ability to heal, to grow, and to go on. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that we may be so broken so beaten up at times, Lord, that it may be something that we did. It may just be something from, from living in a broken world, God, but that your love for us is so deep, Father, that you, you don't just leave us laying broken in the street, Father, but you come to us with care. You come to us with compassion, and you offer redemption, God. So, God, whatever brokenness that we all may be going through, we all may have, Father, God, I just pray for your spirit, Father, to heal us, to see us through this, Father, to to grow us in these moments of pain, and then to help us go on from this brokenness, to not stay broken anymore, but to move forward with the plans and the purposes that you have for us, that you've called for us. We thank you, God, for your compassion, for your love and redemption, and pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.